Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, we say goodbye to Diego Maradona as we share our memories of the legend. CBS opens up to share more about the studio coverage for the Champions League. What's the point of MLS playoffs? We discuss. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Uh, listeners, if you're new to this podcast, we're your weekly guide to getting the best out of soccer viewing options from around the world, whether it's uh, streaming, television, apps, etc. We really kind of talk more about the the coverage of the game and, and making it as easy as possible to watch the best leagues and best teams and best players from around the world. And, and we really have to start off with um, just the devastating news um, we're recording this on Wednesday night um, earlier today hearing about uh, Diego Maradona uh, passing away at the age of 60 I, I was shocked really really shocked in this one because I, I know that what, about a week ago he had surgery on a uh, brain tumor uh, but that was successful he had um, looked like he was on the road to recovery and then on Wednesday morning, I, I switched on, um, I think it was on, actually BBC Radio 5, wanted to hear a, a few minutes of um, pre-match for the UEFA Champions League, see if there's any team news or in, any stories. And I switched it on. And as soon as I switched it on, they were talking about the hand of God and, and the goal, from, of course, from 1986 World Cup. And I thought that was strange. I was like, why are they talking about this? We, we've, I mean, this is a story we've heard a million times. It's okay. I mean, I, I can hear it again. And then they started talking about him in the past tense. And then I was like, whoa. And, and, and honestly, tears started streaming down my, my cheeks. I, I was completely shocked. I was not prepared for this one. Kartik, what about you? How, how, did, uh, how did you find out about the news? So um, I have an Argentine friend in Europe that WhatsApp me that the that there was a report out of Argentina that Maradona had passed away. I chose not to believe it and got very nervous, obviously. And then it was about 15 minutes later, he sends me another WhatsApp message. Hey, it's now a major newspaper in Argentina is reporting it. Then 10 minutes later, I got the BBC alert and, um, I, I had chills. 
I uh, ran home. I turned on the television and watched BBC World, and, and they were great. I mean, these U.S. news channels are all talking about you know, Trump and pardons and Biden and the election and all of that still three weeks after the election and, and COVID to a certain extent. But uh, BBC World went 15, 20 minutes at the top of each half hour on Maradona and then the rest of the time on COVID. So, uh, And they, they got the recollections of the likes of Gary Lineker, and they, they, they had some stuff ready to go, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, file reports but then a lot can't happen spontaneously so i was watching them for um actually cut cut into my viewing of of the man city olympiacos match uh and then uh uh, was very pleased that cbs did the job they did on it because truthfully uh newer fans may not may not quite get this in the history of football i think you put they're great names right you have players that were great great players the elite players in the history of the game and you would include in this current era messi and ronaldo and that and then you have these players that were also transformative players that changed the way the sport was played and 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 had an individual impact unlike any other look i never watched the stefano play uh i never saw puchka's play i never saw uh stanley matthews play so my, my, I'm dated at a certain period onward, so uh, I'll concede that at, at the start and when I say this, because I know this will probably be controversial. I, there are only two players I put in the bucket of both being generationally transformative players and among the elite players of all time. And those are Johan Cruyff, who we lost a few years ago, mm-hmm. and Diego Maradona. And Maradona was the better of those two players. So um, I, I, I'm... Really sad. I, I, I there's, no, there's nothing else I can say about it. I mean, we we should talk more about it, but it's it, it's it's a horrible thing for this sport. And I, I really, uh, uh, sixty. I, I know people like to talk about the, the, all the other uh, extracurricular things with him. I, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, we've lost, as I said, I, I think there were two players that transform that were transformative and elite, and we've lost them both in the last five years. And we lost them both. I think at a relatively young age so it's uh it's heartbreaking i think for so many of us and and uh i, I know you and i are not alone I, I i it's 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 a bad day for the sport and um again i i don't um i don't know if younger people quite appreciate his impact uh, but he had an unbelievable impact not only on winning a world cup for argentina but i think on transforming Serie A, the league, and changing the sport at a time when it was overly physical and overly defensive and really becoming quite dour in the 1980s. I I think a large part of football surviving and thriving at this this time goes back to that one player. So uh, his impact cannot be understated. For a, for a lot of um, listeners, uh, m- most of us are based in the, Uni- the United States. We do have some listeners. We have, actually have a lot of listeners from the UK and from Europe and Asia, etc. But 90% of our listeners are from the United States. And for myself, probably for you, Kartik, too, but Diego Maradona was really <clears throat> more of a World Cup player as far as our experience watching him on television. So, like, in 1978 World Cup, he didn't make the final cut because uh, I think Minotti, uh, Cesar Minotti, thought that Diego was too young at that stage. 1982 World Cup, um, I was still living in Europe, but 1982 World Cup, he was one of the stars. 
1986 yeah. World Cup. Now I'm now now I'm in the US, living in the US, and um, we get to experience the 1986 World Cup with Maradona. Just you I mean the best tournament of, of his entire life. Uh, definitely single-handedly, you know, of, of course, with his teammates, won the World Cup. 1990, Maradona. 1994, uh, he co- gets called into the squad late, uh, scores, uh, I think, that goal against Greece. And then, I mean, kind of controversy happens and he's he's out. But for a lot of listeners and a lot of viewers, really, we didn't get to experience Diego Maradona watching Serie A, in in the eighties, uh, seeing him play for Napoli, seeing him at his height, seeing him play for Barcelona. If we would have seen those games, Kartik, it probably would have been clips, right? Or or reading articles, or listening to a radio uh, broadcast talking about Maradona. Um, to me, he he was all about the World Cup, and and that's in Argentina, of course, the national team. And those are my memories of him as a player, well, as well as, of course, going back into clips and going back into watching highlights and, and seeing anything I could find on him. But it wasn't, I mean, Serie A, as far as I know, you didn't get to see many of those games, if any of those games, in the U.S. in, in the 80s. Yeah, so the only time in my life I've been to Napoli, Naples, uh, was ironically enough uh, because we took a family trip uh, in the summer of 1987, and Napoli had just won the Scudetto, uh, and Maradona had gone there. He had lifted them above uh, Saatchi's Milan, and and they were good inter teams and Juventus teams at that time as well. Uh, so I, I actually experienced that wow. uh, in '87, in June of 1987. Uh, Right after, uh, yeah, late June, early July, as a twelve-year-old, uh, and I didn't, I didn't know anything about Serie. I had heard of Milan. Uh, I had heard my knowledge came from, you know, basically who had played in the old NASL and what clubs they had come from, right? So I knew about AC Milan. Uh, I knew about, and I knew uh, Von Boston and and Hulett and and Wright Cardwright. I knew those players, but um, so that was pretty pretty impressive. And then I. Uh, didn't get to watch Serie A, right? Obviously, being back in the U.S., and you mentioned the 86 and 90 and 94 World Cups, and then obviously Maradona managed in the 2010 World Cup. But I did, as I uh, got access to football in the 90s, uh, uh, European football uh, on TV, whatever, tape delay, internet, once the internet came about, really grew an appreciation for what Maradona did at Napoli because Again, we talk about these great players, Messi, Ronaldo of this era, and the great players of previous eras. Uh, and then you know, I've talked about transformative players. I would say the most transformative players of this most recent era for me are uh, Xavi Hernandez, uh, and who, of course, played most much of his career with Messi, and um, Raquel May, and uh, also uh, Claude McAuley, who, uh, uh, of course, uh, played for Real Madrid and Chelsea and, and France. But um, I... Um, None of the guys I've talked about, other than Raquel May, they generally didn't play for clubs like Napoli that were not big, big clubs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he did to get that club to punch at a higher level and then transform Serie A, because Serie A was a very uh, defensive 
physical league in the 1980s. And in the 1980s, uh, I think we've talked about this before on the show, and English football was was uh, terrible. It was a horrible time. Uh, the Bundesliga in the 1980s was kind of physical and very uh, dour, a lot of one-nil matches, a lot of nil-nil matches in Italy in the 1980s. Uh, Spain, I think, was was always there was there were some more kind of passing principles, et cetera, in the Spanish league. But what Maradona did in Serie A was here's a guy who whose feet were like his hands, right? For for lack of a better term, right? And and and, and the ball stuck to his feet. Right. And technical when, skills. Yeah, the technical skills were unbelievable. But more importantly, when guys, typical Serie A players, decided they were gonna they were gonna try and uh, take his legs out and plunge into him, he'd bounce off them. Right, which or, we saw, we've seen clips over at the international level of him yeah. in Argentina, but in Serie A it was even more physical, and he was able to single-handedly take a club, um, a mid-table club, and take him to the top. Uh, two titles, they won the Coppa Italia once. So to me, and then Serie A becomes a more attractive league for attacking players in the 1990s as a result of Maradona's uh, success at Napoli right. and the floodgates open. But we, so but I, we, I just we missed just we so missed important. all of that though, Kartik. We missed that in in the US yeah. because in, yes, you, yeah. you, you listen to um, James uh, well, Richardson on Football Weekly, and they'll reminisce about about the eighties, late eighties, watching Italian football every week on uh, Channel Four there in in the UK, yeah. and seeing the best of, of Serie A, seeing this gorgeous football played. Yet all the best players from around the world. It was, you I mean, just like today's Premier League. You had all the stars there at the highest level playing gorgeous football and it was wonderful to watch and as opposed to at the time english football which was very kind of going through a very dark period and, and we, my point would be that italian football wasn't like that before maradona came now yeah they right. and, and van boston went there also and several other guys but i think maradona transformed that league and made it the best league in the world I guess in, in many ways, look, too, Kartik, there's probably some listeners who are Italian-Americans who were tuning in and watching RAI uh, in the in late 80s in the U.S., probably with satellite dishes uh, or you know, kind, of, uh, kind of your cafes or Italian pizzerias or, you mean, yeah. just, just watching uh, Maradona, watching Napoli, watching all these great teams. But for most of us, I think myself included, I mean, in the late 80s, there, there was hardly any soccer games on television other than indoor. Um, and maybe there were some highlight shows now and again. Yeah, there were highlight shows. But as far as live football, you'd be lucky to find in English – you mean one game a week, maybe, maybe one game I a month. I remember even seeing, sorry to cut you off, uh, but I think that this kind of dates it and maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong about this. But the first match I remember seeing was the FA Cup final between Spurs and Nottingham Forest in 1991, I believe yep. it was. So uh, I could be wrong. Maybe there was uh, matches on before that I never saw. But that's the first match I remember actually being able to watch in its entirety on English language television. And I think it was taped late, but it was the same day. It was later in the day. day. So you're right, Chris. I mean, I think uh, we only saw highlights in in that era. My my analysis of Maradona at Napoli is largely based on, one, my childhood memory of going there at 12 years old and getting caught up in the, in the frenzy that the two days we were in Naples. And then, uh, two, because I knew who he was, right, from 86. And, uh, and plus, you know, we knew Argentinian people here in South Florida. And then, two, just going back in the 1990s as I was getting into Serie A and piecing together what had happened in the 80s. So you're right. I didn't actually experience it firsthand sitting in the United States. Uh, I guess none of us did. You're, you're right. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. 
Yeah, I, th- I think some of us might have uh, maybe I don't know Soccer America or World Soccer Magazine or the or the newspapers. You mean back there, you would have gone. You mean back in the eighties, being able to go to you know, in big cities, go to a, a newspaper stand, and sometimes find papers from overseas and then read about what was happening. So, so at the end of the day, I mean, it really still it's still the World Cup that crystallizes my memories of Diego Maradona. And of course, you go to the 1986 World Cup, just as one example, uh, and just that one game against England um, and those two goals he scored kind of at opposite ends of the, of, of the spectrum in terms of, you mean, pure skill and pure evil on the other side, um, kind of the dark arts of so- soccer. But that's what I remember Diego Maradona for. And it's something, he's a player, he's older than, than uh, older than both you and I, Kartik, and probably a lot of our listeners. But he was a player of our generation. You I mean, just as maybe so for our fathers or, or for some of the older, older listeners, uh, Pelé was, was of, of their generation. Yeah. Uh, just as, um, I mean, Cristiano and Messi right now are a player of our current generation for a lot of the younger listeners. But um, yeah, it's going to be sadly missed for sure. And um, just one of the best. I mean, if not the best, especially on, on the technical control, just a joy to watch and a roller coaster of a career. If, if anyone hasn't had a chance to watch the documentary called Maradona, which was released, um, I think, late last year, but that's on available right now on HBO Max. And uh, also, of course, on Amazon Prime, if you want to take a look there, they have all of the, um, the World Cup documentaries. So you can go back to 1982, you can go back to 1986 uh, and, and, and onwards to see, I mean, just this incredible player at, at the height of his game. And I'm sure there's, there's a, I mean, a ton of Serie A uh, coverage on, on YouTube and other places to, to see just what a, what a diamond of a player um, he, he was. And I, I, I'm still, still shocked that um, he has passed away. And, and, and Ray Clements died like about a, about a week ago. Yeah. This is the first player in a long time that I've, I've shed tears about. I mean, that I was completely shocked, shell-shocked when this happened. Uh, and we've seen a lot of massive legends um, pass away, unfortunately, in the last few years. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, I, we've seen a lot of people pass away. I, I think I was, uh, I was uh, kind of sad when Alan Ball passed away. That was in 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think this is the first time I've been really, really sad since then. And I include like Cruyff passing away uh, as part of that. I mean, that was sad, but I, I, I was, like I said, I dropped what I was doing. I ran home. I, I, I choose to, chose to disbelieve the initial WhatsApp message. And then it became clear it was something was up. And then I got the BBC alert and I ran home and just sat in front of the TV for hours, which uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't know if there's many other people that would die in, in my life that I, that I revere so much that I, I, I would have done that for. I mean, it's the way people reacted when John Kennedy was shot in this country, but it was a, a similar feeling as a football person. And uh, we're getting into the coverage from this weekend. I mean, it's funny. Uh, ironically enough, Jurgen Klinsmann on the pregame show for the Napoli uh, Milan match. And obviously Klinsmann played in that era, right? Mm-hmm. He's sort of a contemporary of Maradona's, a little bit younger, but uh, he, he, he mentioned not having crowds and talked uh, on the ESPN FC pregame show about what it was like to play Napoli during the Maradona era in Napoli. And that was Sunday. And 
No, it occurred to anyone that he would be dead three days later. So, right. speaking um, yeah, speaking of Klinsman, I'm, I'm not sure if you were at this game, Kartik. Uh, after I, I know a lot about your history of uh, going to matches, but not every match. And, and oftentimes, this is before I knew you. But 1993, so a year before the World Cup came to the United States, Germany played a friendly against Argentina in Miami at the Orange Bowl, and uh, it was, I mean, the full uh, German squad. Uh, pretty much the full Argentine squad, except Diego Maradona, uh, uh, didn't play. I'm not sure if it was... Um, I know around about that time, he was complaining that he was kind of tired and just playing too many games, but he did not uh, turn out that day for that game, which I think actually Germany ended up winning. But 33,000 people, I was there. Unfortunately, never got a chance to watch Diego Maradona, which would have wished he was good and be, that he played in that game. But... Um, that's the closest I've gotten to to see Maradona. How about you? How about you, Kartik? Were you yeah, I, I was in I was in college then. I didn't wasn't at that game, and I and I never saw. I didn't get to see him play either, um, unfortunately. So yeah. that's uh, that's the unfortunate thing, I guess. When it comes down to it, it said never got to see him play. I'm trying to think if I've. Uh, was that a match where he managed? I, I guess not. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got we've got some fantastic memories of, of just an incredible player and and, yeah. and a legend. Now, Kartik, this is going to surprise a lot, a lot of listeners, but um, in terms of what we've been watching from this past week, um, we're not going to go into a lot of detail. But um, the one match I watched that was my favorite match from this past week was a MLS playoff game, and it was a game that wasn't the prettiest of games. But just the excitement and the underdog uh, seeing Nashville uh, beating Toronto 1-0 in a game that Nashville completely dominated. Uh, it could have been 4-0, 5-0 if Nashville were able to convert their chances. But uh, both John Strong and Stu Holden did a really good job of really, really getting into this game, just getting really excited and uh, kind of sensing something major was going, going to happen. Of course, Toronto... Uh, usually a team that makes it all the way to the final or if not pretty close to it. And Nashville in their first season in Major League Soccer causing a massive upset. And uh, I mean, the football wasn't the greatest, but the excitement level was really high. And that was my favorite match of, of this past week. So I'm, I'm rooting now for Nashville uh, to go all the way. I mean, just pl- playing a good brand of football, very organized, uh, not very flashy, uh, but a lot of players playing re- really well together as a team and that that's my that's my team i guess from now to the end of the se- season in uh, the mls cup to see how far they go what about you kartik uh, any any games that you saw this past week that were or any programming that was uh, a highlight yeah i think that there there were two games that were really really good this weekend uh, the villa brighton match uh, in the Premier League and the Monaco PSG match in Liga, and the uh, Monaco PSG match has left Thomas Tuchel on the brink of being sacked. And as of, the, as of this recording, he hasn't been sacked. Although, uh, look, they, they they came back and won Champions League midweek, so I guess maybe he's he's off uh, off the hook temporarily. But uh, Kevin Volland, who had been one of my favorite players in the Bundesliga the last few years at uh, Bayer Leverkusen, actually had reaped the benefits of uh, of playing with Kai Havertz, uh, particularly last season. Uh, really, really good in in this comeback for Monaco and uh, Liga. Uh, has been interesting uh, for me because they, they're having a a proper season, right? They started when they because they didn't finish last season, and and because they they 
they're having a proper season, it feels like the football is a little better, right? There's, they're not playing every three days, this sort of thing, like we're seeing in Italy and, and England and, and Spain and, and Germany. So um, I, I've actually uh, uh, tuned in more to that league uh, the last few weeks and, and really, really enjoyed that game. And being, uh, again, being not in many homes, but yeah. <laughs> this would have been a great game if it had been on another network for, well, for, the, for the audience. But unfortunately, it was on BN. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, too. I mean, uh, ran uh, midweek against Chelsea on Tuesday, they looked really good. I mean, every game yeah, I've seen yeah. Ren play nice. in the Champions League, they've been a really attractive team to watch. And very unfortunate that they didn't make it through to the next round. Um, so, but I, I mean, that's no, the thing about the French League. It's always entertaining. Chelsea, right? I mean, they're in the group with two of the better teams in Europe. So that was just bad draw. Unlucky. Exactly. Yeah. So what was the other match that stood out for you? Oh, and uh, Brighton and uh, and Villa was the other match. Okay. Those were two really good matches I think, uh, for me this weekend. I think I, I think I have to apologize to uh, Jose Mourinho, Kartik. I I'm completely very shocked and surprised at how well Spurs have been playing. Uh, well, actually, how well uh, Jose has been managing this squad? Because yeah. uh, I think when he was hired, I was like, oh gosh, here we go again. It's going to be Man United all over. It's going to be all about uh, Jose's ego. It's all going to be about him and um, the man management and just the tactical management's going to be just. I mean, I don't know, thrown under the bus. Is you I mean? It's, it's. I don't. I didn't think he had much left in him. And meanwhile, they're playing some really good football. I mean, they're really, really impressive this season. So apologies, Jose. <laughs> I was wrong. left him a good team. I mean, that's he inherited a much better team uh, at. Uh, Spurs than he had at United, but a couple yeah. quick points about NBC with in terms of Spurs. So I, I think Hoiberg and I, I think I flagged this very early on in the season. Hoiberg was a, and I lo- loved them at, Spur- at uh, Southampton the last few seasons uh, was a very very significant signing. And then you you pair him with Musa Sissoko in that midfield, and you've got this two man double pivot that. Um, is really intelligent, right? You've got two really intelligent players, which is when you think about a manager like Jose, who doesn't have a set style, mm-hmm. but expects his players to think and think through matches. That is a perfect foil in front of a back four that isn't that good. But then going forward, Spurs have so much quality and, and an embarrassment of riches. I don't know why they needed Gareth Bale when they've got Lamella and they've got uh, Lucas Mora. Lucas seems to be a player that Mourinho loves for whatever reason. Uh, but then again, Lamella's always hurt and maybe they needed uh, uh, Bale to come in and push these guys. Well, um, and, Europa and, League. Man, Europa League, right. <laughs> to right. balance the Europa League. But NBC has not talked about what is actually making Spurs so good? Okay, we, we, I, we already talk about how they talk about the big six too much, right? And they don't talk about the other teams. So if you want to uh, talk about why Villa and Southampton are having such good seasons, you're not going to get that analysis on NBC. And then with Spurs, I, I'm looking at how Jose is doing things this season, and they're never talking about it, right? They're talking about the easy narratives. Oh, he brought Gareth Bale in. Oh, Sun is on fire, right? Sun is very, very good. We know that. Uh, but not talking about uh, the things that are less sexy and more kind of analytical related to Jose getting the Spurs team to punch at, at, at a level uh, that they, ha- they that they haven't uh, previously, even under Pochettino. And then you have uh, this uh, this sort of revolving door of of of, uh, of analysts in the studio. They, they they're not there for one match; they're there for the next match. 
I also noticed the intro for NBC's uh, pregame show on on Monday before the uh, uh, whichever match it was, the Burnley match, Burnley, right. that they had uh, the Premier League productions opening. For, which they never they used to have their own kind of canned NBC mm-hmm. opening. So I don't know what's going on, honestly. I, I'm just really frustrated. And when I had their pregame side by side with ESPN, ESPN did a full on pregame show, as I mentioned, we're talking about Maradona for uh, Napoli and, and, and Milan. There's no comparison in terms of the conversation in, in the studio. And and what you're getting out of each show, I got a lot out of ESPN show leading into that. And the people who know me know I'm not a huge fan of Jurgen Klinsmann as a manager, but I think he's doing pretty well in the ESPN studio. Uh, NBC, I got nothing out of their their pre-match show. In fact, their pre-match show went on about all of Liverpool's injuries without acknowledging that Leicester has a bunch of players out, significant players out as well. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that. Uh was part of NBC's success thus far with the Premier League was their consistency. So you knew which channels the games would be on, even without even thinking about it. And then you would have that even consistent lineup of, of talent. And I think this season in particular, um, we're missing Carl Martino. Carl Martino would be that guy that would probably be able to sit down and give you a good five-minute deep dive into uh, Jose, talking about, uh, yeah. about the strengths and what why the Spurs team is different under Jose and what he's doing right, um, that you don't get as much with, with Robbie Musto, who could go down that path, but doesn't. Uh, so I don't know if that's from a producer side as far as, you mean, oh, short on time. But, but but the other thing is, though, too, just even just the, the consistency or inconsistency of watching games. This past Saturday, First game was on Peacock, second game was on NBCSN, third game was on NBC, fourth game was on Peacock. So they're jumping around from you know, from platform to platform, and it's probably harder for people to catch up or stay, stay figuring out, okay, which channel are we moving to next? Okay, let's jump to that one. Okay, this one has to go to streaming. Okay, let's jump to that one. And, and unfortunately... I, I think they've lost their mojo. I mean, I think we we talked about this even last season. Uh, this season, absolutely, they've lost their mojo as far as everything that was good about what they've been doing. Uh, I don't know if it's cost-cutting. I don't know if it's lack of resources. I don't know if it's just basically that um, they just don't have the energy or the excitement that they used to have. But it, it's nowhere near as good now lee dixon you mean as far as the talent i mean lee dixon to me is probably the shining star out of of everyone um and rebecca can be good at times and the two robbies can can be good at times but um but that's the studio side as far as the actual commentary uh lee dixon to me is is the star of the show yeah, I, I know we've had the Arlo White conversation a lot on this show. Uh, I, I don't know, and I know NBC's not going to do this because they're really invested in Rebecca Lowe, but I, I think about if you brought Arlo White back and you put him in the studio and you had him hosting, I, I think there might be, it might be better. It might, there might be more interesting questions asked. Uh, but then again, you'd, maybe you can't, maybe it's a producer side thing. Maybe Rebecca, because Rebecca has shined in the past. Mm-hmm. It's just now it seems very, very rehearsed, very um, safe. And very, um, just very static. Well, well, we've talked about the static stuff, but it's also the the lazy storylines connected with uh, with the top six. So it's not just that they exclusively finish a focus on the top six. It's the it's the very lazy storylines connected to the top six. I have noticed Tim Howard can be kind of analytical uh, if he's pushed. 
uh, and if he's given time, uh, but he, he, he doesn't have the level of uh, analysis that we got from Martino. I mean, clearly their decision to let Martino go or whatever happened has, has, uh, I think made the, uh, the bumper programming, uh, not worth watching, but just by removing that one, one person, although that's a culmination of, as I've mentioned before, a number of Steve Bauer, uh, Neil Ashton, et cetera, a number of people leaving, uh, over the course of the eight years they've had the premier league. I, I think the final straw is Martino leaving and there's no, there's no value to the shows anymore, uh, without him quite frankly. Yeah, the, the other thing though too is that uh, the way that the schedule has happened um, on, a, on any given Saturday uh, with COVID-19 going on and with um, the games being staggered. So you have your 7.30 a.m. kickoff Eastern time, your 10 a.m., your 12.30 p.m. And now you have your 2.15 or, or, or 3, 3 o'clock or 3.15 uh, kickoff time. So in the past, while we would have had three games right a three game three three windows the the length of of the production has actually gone on so that's why i think in some ways for that early kickoff um for that seven o'clock in the morning you only have two people on it's usually rebecca and either tim howard or rebecca and robbie earl and then magically happen happens around about the 10 o'clock mark then someone one of the somebody else pops in so now you have three people but I, i guess that's part of the the, what what they're doing is rather than having everyone be there for all four of those matches staggered, um, they're kind of doing some time shifting and having some people come in a little bit later. It, it just makes it really, really weird. And in fairness to NBC on this, no broadcaster, no individual broadcaster that doesn't use Premier League productions for their studio programs, I think in the world has this issue where they're showing every match. Uh, because it's split up, packages are split up between right. BT and Sky. Yeah, good point. Am, you, you, so I, 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 that I guess we have to cut NBC some slack on that. That they, uh, that they're having a block of four matches on, uh, uh, oftentimes on both Saturday and Sunday, back to back to back to back. That having been said, this also coincides with them downsizing. So they would have probably been able to handle it a few years ago. I forgot to mention, they had Gary Lineker working with them the first few years, which was such a treat for American viewers. Uh, so you know, they've lost Lineker. They've lost Bauer. They've lost uh, uh, Ashton. They've, lo- uh, they've uh, lost Martino. And they haven't replaced any of these people. And now they're forced to show more matches on, on linear television. or They have to have studio shows around more matches, whether it's on linear television or on Peacock, than ever before. And it's just it's it's showing them up, unfortunately. All right, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news, and not a lot of news this week. But uh, I did get a chance to interview the uh, the top producer from CBS Sports, um, senior creative director Pete Radovich, and to talk to him about the UEFA Champions League and talk about the production, talk about some of the changes they've made, uh, talking about uh, Jamie Carragher and Roberto Martinez, etc. Uh, just trying to get a better understanding of. Um, how that all came together. So I have a clip from that interview. Uh, the full article, actually there's two articles, are on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com. So you can read those there for more in-depth uh, perspective. But I'm going to play a clip here uh, from Pete Radovich where I ask him, ask him about um, the coverage and, and how that studio coverage came together and how they've been able to really kind of tap into some really good chemistry uh, in that studio. So let me go ahead and play that clip for you so you can get some uh, perspective on that. 
I think I'll tell you real quick a story. Like I'm really proud of the fact what we did day one. When we we had two days of rehearsals, mm-hmm. and literally day one, when everyone came in the same room together, got into the same room, one filed it one after the other, a few minutes after each other, and we were going to have our meeting brief. And Peter Schmeichel showed up last, and him and Jamie started going at it right away, and then Michael jumped in. And I'm you know we're supposed to be having a meeting talking about all right, this is what we're doing. We let them go, I think, for easily over an hour, where they just were talking, having fun, joking, laughing. And at some point, someone turned to me, maybe it was Kate, and said, all right, that was enough. Let's see, you, you want to get going? And I, I, remember, I remember saying, that's the show. Mm-hmm. You guys just did. That's <laughs> it. Like, forget about what I'm going to give you. You don't need me. What you guys just did on your own is the show. You guys all like each other, you have a chemistry, you have fun with one another. That's the show. We're throwing some football, but that's the show. Like we'll we're formatting all that. But those two days we were, you know, rehearsals because we had to see him on camera. We wanted to see, you know, sort of block where who's gonna sit where. Mm-hmm. But really those two days were designed for them to just hang out. Yeah, so there you go. So that that's the uh, the clip from the interview with Pete Radovich, and uh, to hear or actually to read uh, more insights in terms of uh, how he compares also uh, the coverage of uh, the Champions League on CBS Sports compared to how it is on UK television. Uh, of course, because the, the studio is based in London, he's working out of London, and just some of his thoughts about the differences between um, broadcasting for UK television but then broadcasting here for U.S. television through CBS Sports. So, so some, some good uh, insight into, into how things are put together there. All right, let's move on to uh, TV ratings. Uh, Kartik, there's some interesting numbers here because we have some numbers from uh, both the Liga Max playoffs. We also have the numbers from some of the, the Premier League matches we've been mentioning and also the MLS playoffs. Um, the Spurs against Man City game on Saturday, which is on NBC and Universo, uh, this one had almost a million viewers. It had 991,000 viewers, uh, which was the most watched match from this past week, uh, actually this past weekend. Then you had Chivas against Nakaxa, 971,000 viewers for that on Telemundo, so on and so forth. The um, The MLS numbers... Actually, some of them were good, Kartik. Um, Philadelphia against New England on ESPN, uh, 478,000 viewers. Uh, Seattle against LAFC on ESPN. This was uh, Tuesday night, 457,000 viewers for that. Uh, Toronto against Nashville, 240,000 viewers. And then um, you had some ones that were really disappointing. New England against Montreal, 108,000 on FS1, as well as Nashville against Miami, which was 129,000 viewers on that Friday night game on FS1. The, the question I have, Kartik, about um, MLS playoffs is I was thinking about this a little bit deeper today, and I was thinking, like, why does MLS insist on still doing the playoff system? Because we look at the TV viewing numbers, and, and yes, they're decent, but they're not out of the park. I mean, you would, you would think that the way that the league is structured, where you have the regular season and then the playoffs, the playoff numbers would be through the roof. It would be almost like, like kind of World Series or NFL playoffs, that those numbers would be massive numbers. And that would uh, 
be the reason why you would stick with a playoff system. But what what for you to like? Why do you think that they stick with the uh, the playoff system as kind of uh, the format for the league? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think they're trying to keep relevance for the regular season. Because I'll tell you this from a um, from a marketing and ticket sales standpoint, the MLS playoffs have been a problem for a lot of clubs that are not able. You find out when you're playing, and you have to turn around the matchup uh, a, a week later. So it's tough to, to and there, and it's not part of your season ticket package. So, uh, and there are some exceptions to that, but generally you have to resell. And if you have MLS teams have great sales forces, right? They have 30, 40, sometimes people in their, depending on the club in their, on their sales team, but it's tough to sell, um, tickets that quickly so the ticket advantage isn't there generally uh, obviously this season you can't look because of covid but generally the attendance for playoff games the average is lower than for the regular season uh then you've got um the situation with the television ratings which you've mentioned so i don't know why they uh why they keep going with uh with playoffs i mean it's 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 just maybe a cultural thing but you could put a premium on the playoffs if you had four teams or or eight te- six teams or eight teams, but then you make most of your regular season irrelevant without promotion and relegation. So I think that that's that's the the, the balancing act, right? That they're they're in, they're having a hard time with that, right? And uh, I don't know what they do. You you could argue they make the regular season more relevant if they if they cut the playoffs down to four teams or six teams, but then uh, there will be a ton of dead rubbers because they'll be on. They, I mean, another solution could be to split the season and have a spring season and a fall season, but they seem resistant to doing that. Also, that's what makes the Mexican Liga MX playoffs and actually Liga MX itself very interesting. Is the split season to mm-hmm. me? Yeah, me too. And Argentina, same thing. I'm mean, a number of the leagues in Latin America, but Mexico in particular, since that's the league I watch the most from uh, that has that format, I think is much more interesting because they do that. So then things reset. Uh, so there, there's always relevance then. Yeah, I, I agree, Kartik, too. I think that the the Mexican playoff uh, system could be something with, with a split season, could be something that works well for Major League Soccer in the future. I, I think originally it was intended, I mean, when they did, came up with the, the system for MLS and decided uh, not to go with promotion relegation and to set up a kind of a single entity. I mean, all, all the teams, there's no, no teams get relegated. Uh, how do we make this meaningful? Let's go ahead and add playoffs. And I think it... In, on the end, uh, basically the onset of this was really kind of thinking more from a uh, NFL or, or a uh, baseball perspective, saying, "Okay, you mean this? Let's create this to be. This is our brand. This is our soccer. This is our American soccer. Let's go go with that." But now, though, I think it is very cultural um, in that you mean the way the system that it's a very American system, but it's one of those things that. Um, at the end of the day, you can look at the numbers and go, okay, well, actually, the numbers show otherwise. The numbers show that the playoffs aren't a massive hit. So why are we sticking with it? I honestly believe that the, the reason, one of the reasons they're sticking with it is because it's easier to sell to, to sponsors and advertisers. If they go into a, I don't know, Budweiser you mean, or go into any major brands in the United States that are interested in advertising, and they explain how Major League Soccer works. It's just like the NFL. It's just like the World Series of, of baseball. Yeah. It's it's something we have our regular season, but the playoffs, that's when it gets really exciting. And at the end of the day, the number one reason, I think, is that MLS wants to have their own Super Bowl. 
Now, the MLS Cup isn't, I mean, the final uh, is a big event, but it's nowhere near Super, Super Bowl level. But that's the intention. I think that's what, when they went into this thinking originally, let's, let's have the playoffs and let's make this into the Super Bowl of soccer in the US. Well, a lot has changed since um, the late 90s as far as globalization, about being able to watch soccer from around the world. Uh, we were talking about uh, earlier in this podcast about Diego Mar- Maradona not to ha- have the ability to actually even see many of his uh, club games in action, uh, only seeing him every four years. And and that was kind of the mindset at that time as far as, okay, let's have Major League Soccer and let's make that the Super Bowl of soccer. Um, now, I mean, 2020, that's a whole different story. So so I think right now, I think it is cultural. And I think it is, it's easier to explain it to advertisers and sponsors and to mainstream America what, what it's all about. Um but at some time, maybe the Liga MX playoff system is something that they can kind of dovetail into and change it and make make the system better so that the actual regular season games are more meaningful. Yeah, so uh, a couple of thoughts on that. I think you're right. They based it on the NFL and then the NHL and, and NBA for, for years. Almost every team made the playoffs in those sports. I don't think it's as much based on baseball because I'm not a baseball fan anymore. And I understand the playoffs have been expanded, et cetera, in baseball. I don't know what how many teams get in now. But at one time, it was very hard to make the playoffs in baseball. I mean, it was uh, uh, it, it was just the best of the best that made it. And uh, effectively, you could have some really good teams, <laughs> the, the teams that would be the second or third best team in the league, not make the playoffs. So I, I don't think they based it on baseball. Baseball uh, wanted to keep the playoffs small, and there were a lot of traditionalists who – because that would make every – There's 162 games in baseball, but it made all those regular season games meaningful because uh, until the mid-1990s or late 1990s, only four teams made the playoffs in baseball of the 26 or 28 teams they had at the time. And then I know then they expanded it to six teams making the playoffs, and now I think it's eight or ten, something like that. So, uh, But for a long time, it was very difficult. It was almost like qualifying for Champions League out of uh, uh, top European league. It was very difficult Mm -hmm. to qualify. I think it's more based on the NFL where they let all these teams into the playoffs and then they have the one big game at the end, right? Right. Uh, The one-off, which they can can build a whole weekend around, which is what they've done with the MLS Cup. And the same thing with the All-Star game, right? That's a very American concept Mm -hmm. uh, of having this mid-season match and that comes from baseball actually that is where they borrowed from baseball and then the nba of course does it too uh where at the nhl where they have this all-star game and they would have all these events around it in fact i think we remember when the all-star game was in orlando in the late 90s and they had a whole all-star weekend and wide world of sports and uh even last year yeah, yeah right. last yeah with Atleti uh, in town. Well, too. no, I'm thinking back in back in oh, oh back in the day. Okay, right, right. They had like skills contests and they had all of this other stuff going on at Wide World of Sports uh, while they had the the game at the Citrus Bowl uh, on on a Sunday. I think Friday and Saturday there were events all day. So uh, and now it's a midweek game, so they do it like Thursday and and uh, Tuesday and Thursday. I think as you have more soccer media that's versed in the way things are in Europe. These things fade in importance. Uh, MLS Cup is a one-off match. I, I don't have an objection to that, but I think the drawn-out playoff structure to get the MLS Cup is a little bit um, cumbersome and, uh, quite frankly, difficult for a lot of teams. If Seattle hosts games or Portland hosts games or Toronto, they can sell. 
right? And they've generally been the teams that have done very well in the playoffs recently. But if you have Dallas hosting a lot of playoff games or uh, Chicago hosting a lot of playoff games, it's very difficult for those clubs to sell tickets. It's very difficult for those clubs to get those get to get the news, the media coverage in their local markets uh, at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's fraught with all kinds of danger. And we saw what happened the year that Colorado played Dallas in the final. That it ended up being this just absolute disaster. So, right. um, but then when they get Seattle playing Toronto, which they've gotten more often than not lately, or Portland in the final, then uh, it, you know it's a big event. Yeah, most of the uh, the playoff games I've seen uh, so far in the last week or so have been good. They've been entertaining. Uh, the one of the issues that they have is that they're clashing at the same time as not only you mean NFL games, but but more importantly for me and a lot of listeners is soccer games. So. Last weekend, last Saturday, Orlando against NYCFC. Uh, I'm watching the game, watching the um, period of extra time, and I mean added extra time. And then it's three o'clock, and Atleti are playing Barcelona, the game of the weekend, the one that I want to watch. So I switch over and started watching that game. Uh, meanwhile, I missed the pick, uh, the penalty kicks, the whole wild drama that happened with that, the fiasco. Um, but that's the challenge they're up against is that uh, there's so much going on, whether it's um, NFL football or other sports, that it's a difficult time of the year to actually be uh, playing these games anyway. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's something something that I think MLS needs to consider and uh, at some point needs to change and just for the, be- the betterment. I mean, the other thing too about this, uh, the, the whole playoffs too, is that Pretty much, I think, every single game of Inter-Miami this season I watched. So home and away, watched it uh, on streaming or television. They were absolutely horrible. Just, a, you mean, a really, really poor team. Uh, amazingly, I mean, in the last game, they, they make it into the playoffs. So they have their one playoff game against Nashville, and they lose. Now, Philadelphia, who had an incredible season, who, went, who won the Supporters' Shield, uh, they entered the playoffs... They play one game and they're out. So Philadelphia, who, who you mean? So how does that give meaning to the season when you have a team that's been so bad that plays the same number of games in the playoffs? Uh, yes, there was a play-in playoff for Miami, uh, but then Philadelphia. I mean, of course, they, they could have won that game and gone on, but they lost that game. So, so to me, it makes the whole regular season less meaningful i mean why should i bother watching the, the the actual regular season if it has very little meaning in the actual playoffs if anything if it worked in philadelphia's uh as a disadvantage uh them sp- skipping kind of uh, skipping around and going in cold and not having played a game in a couple of weeks and playing new england and uh and, and losing that match all right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first up is Curtis Williams. Curtis says, My personal memory of Diego Maradona was 34 years ago during the World Cup in Mexico, 1986. I was a junior in college when I saw Maradona play on Spanish-language television along with other college students in Little Rock. His Hand of God goal against uh, England was fantastic, but his running past six England players before scoring made me fall in love with the beautiful game regardless of the spoken language. Tony Tarado was on the call then for Univision at that time. And for me, Diego Armando Maradona will always be the best athlete of my generation, period. Rico Richardson says, uh, it really makes no sense to even compare the MLS playoffs with Liga MX playoffs 
primarily Spanish media markets fa- favor Liga MX, so those numbers will be fine. MLS still has college football games, plus MLS doesn't promote their games. Don Dickerson says uh, the issue with Nations League, just like with any other league, is that we only discuss the top teams. I, for one, was glued Wednesday last Wednesday to the first half of the Russia-Serbia match when Serbia took the monster lead going into halftime. I immediately turned to Hungary against Turkey for their second half. The joy and the frustration for those two, uh, for those four fan bases would have been fa- fascinating to watch, but with no fans in the stands, we don't know. Knowing Russia was going to lose and thus making Hungary the winner of the group with a win or draw, Turkey the winner of the group with a win or draw would see them stay in the same group level of a loss uh, 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 would, would then go down. All the possibilities happened where... We not only got Hungary moving up, but Turkey moved down and Serbia with the Hail Mary will stay in League B. Tell me again how Nations League doesn't matter. Yeah, and and, uh, Don, I I disagree when you say that um, the issue with the Nations League is that uh, we only discuss the top teams. I think I mentioned last week, too, talking about Wales and how, how the Nations League, what it meant to them and to me and to the history of Wales never qualifying. Uh, the last time qualifying for a World Cup was uh, 1958, uh, before I was born, long long before I was born. And the Nations League, Nations League gives Wales, you know, a relatively small country, uh, it is a small country, uh, population and size, and gives them a chance. So I think in many many ways, um, yes, the Italy's, Belgium's, England's, Germany's, Spain, often oftentimes are the ones that a lot of people talk about. But I think there's a lot of us that are watching. Uh, these smaller countries and these more competitive games where there is more on the line. There is more on the line, but I don't think it has quite the meaning to the fans. I don't think uh, fans of Russia are that concerned that they got relegated. Uh, and well, obviously we saw Germany got relegated and they didn't get relegated. But um, I, I think as it develops the culture, there'll be that. But it's not the same thing as a club getting relegated uh, because you still uh, – and sometimes strategically it's good to be in a lower lower pot. Um in terms of then if you potentially have a second chance of qualifying. But yeah, there has been some, there have been some very exciting uh, nations league matches. I mean, in fact, I think the, uh, the last set of matches, the last match day of the first nations league uh, was really exciting to me. The England, Croatia match, the Germany, Netherlands match, uh, and a few others. Uh, It's a couple of them in league B also and league C, uh, but then they reformatted the tournament after that. So we'll see. Well, I, I think it'll, it'll gain some acceptance as time goes on. Uh, my objection to it is just in a COVID year where I don't think people should be crossing national boundaries, except in really important circumstances. And you already have a congested calendar. That's my problem with it. Stefan uh, follows up. He says, I'm a fan of La Liga. Thus, I'm a fanatic subscriber. One thing I used to enjoy is when a Liga, La Liga match was a bit of a bore, I would flip the channel uh, over to whatever uh, Segunda Division match was playing. Yet so far this season, being Sports hasn't shown any of the matches, nor does it look like they are being shown on being Sports Extra. Do you know what has happened to the rights? So I reached out to be in sports uh, to get some more more information and no response. So it looks like they no longer have the rights and uh, it looks like nobody actually has picked them up. Um, I did a little bit of research and um, YouTube, their official YouTube channel, 
for the La Liga Smart, Smart Bank is uh, the sponsor. But La Liga Smart Bank uh, has highlights available, usually, I think, the day after. Um, so you can still watch highlights of those games, but uh, it's not the, the, the live uh, thing. So if I hear anything more, I'll, I'll let um, people know through com. Last but not least, Robert says uh, some good games and real upsets from the MLS playoffs. Nashville has been a surprise. They hammered Miami last week and did the same to uh, Toronto. Well coached and built from the back. Not the usual spend big for forwards and end up with a Keystone Cup defense like Colorado the other day. It could be another cup for Seattle Sounders. This possible early release of COVID vaccines may be what saves Major League Soccer. Another year without fans would be a disaster. Hope you all have a very nice and safe Thanksgiving. Yeah, and actually on behalf of uh, World Soccer Talk, Kartik and I, we'd like to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, uh, no matter where you are uh, around the world, of course, of the United States uh, for Thursday. But in in regards to Robert's comment, Kartik, I mean, this is the thing about the the vaccines. Very positive news, right? Stock markets are going up. A lot, a lot of positivity now about these vaccines, and hopefully they'll be available at some point in the near future. But the issue is, you've got ten billion people that you need to vaccinate, and how long does it take to go ahead? And I think that they're, I mean, they have it staggered so that uh, certain groups will get the vaccines first. So that's good news in terms of hopefully uh, different cities, different regions, different states, kind of uh, once the vaccine's available, is opening things up and and letting uh, larger numbers of uh, people go to attendances for, for games, as one example. But how fast that happens... Um, and depending on which state it is, depending on which country, right? Canada is still very, very uh, tight in terms of the restrictions. Uh, it still could be a while before we get some big attendances in Major League Soccer. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I don't. I, I think people are talking kind of wildly now about uh, the, the timeline on this, and, and it's great to see the progress. And that's that's something that's really encouraging but I, I think we're still looking at next year being effectively a wash for much of next season next year or what would be next season in, in uh in the in the u.s leagues so uh they have to plan accordingly yeah and that's the tough thing too we talked a few weeks ago about um possibly the mls season starting later uh then there was follow-up reports saying that they were planning on starting it in march uh that still could change of course nothing's been set in stone yet but uh, a lot of this depends on the timing and um, and also, again, to the different, uh, whether it's county governments or cities or states and uh, the restrictions that they have in place and, and how quickly they uh, remove some of those restrictions. It's going to be a very difficult year for Major League Soccer in 2021 anyway. Um, we know from last week there were layoffs, some, some massive layoffs at uh, Major League Soccer headquarters a lot of staff uh, will let go. And um, I think for 2021, there's going to be similar situations, not just for Major League Soccer, but probably for other leagues too. And a lot of clubs have laid off staff, I can tell you that from just my personal network, uh, that a lot of MLS clubs and some of the clubs that you would think as the more successful clubs have had to lay off uh, staff, which is very, very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, for Major League Soccer, I mean, really, the thing that's really been the difference here is the expansion fees. A lot of these new cities coming on board 
and uh, paying these large sums of money to uh, to get teams added in the near future. And um, without knowing the financials, I mean, I'm sure that's a huge component of um, of Major League Soccer in terms of right now, especially with uh, attendances really, really small and, and not being able to actually maximize that. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. We want to get your opinions about uh, anything we've talked about today or any questions you, you may have about uh, watching soccer on television and streaming, etc. And uh, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, Kartik, uh, where can they find you on on uh, Twitter if you want to catch up on your? Uh, uh, I was I was, was going to say rants and raves, but but maybe to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, KKFLA seven three seven. My DMs are open, so anytime you want to uh, talk with me, just send me a DM. And actually, Kartik, we forgot to do one thing. We forgot to look at this uh, weekend schedule to go ahead and pick out some games that we think that would be a must watch. Um, for me, it really has to be Sunday and uh, the Premier League, of course, and uh, Chelsea against Spurs. I mean, especially after the game, um, Chelsea's game uh, this on Tuesday against Rennes, really pulling out like a late victory there. Uh, Giroud with a fantastic, uh, amazing header uh, to win this game. So Chelsea against Spurs, 11.30 on Sunday, live on NBCSN and Telemundo. So that one I'm really looking forward to of course there's the jose factor um having been i mean previous uh, coaching uh, at chelsea but uh, what about you anything stands out that that match was the one that i uh, felt like <laughs> i stole it sure. from you yeah because that that's uh first off there's become this new element where both arsenal fans maybe it's not so new but it's now more pronounced than ever and i think it's because Josie's at Spurs, so everybody uh, is comfortable saying this. Both Arsenal fans and Chelsea fans are like, well, we hate Arsenal fans hate Chelsea, and Chelsea fans hate Arsenal, but we both, both hate Spurs more. Uh, and that the Jose factor contributes to that, although I think already they, their fan bases are already more focused on Spurs. Uh, then you've got the fact that this, this Chelsea team still, to me, seems very unsettled, even though they're winning and they're scoring a lot of goals. There's just something that that is uh, not comforting to me in watching them. I, I think uh, obviously uh, Ziyech coming back fit has been a a big addition, and we knew he would be right. We've, we've seen him previously uh, at Ajax, etc. Mm-hmm. But we, uh, I, I think what we're what's to me not comforting is that I just don't. It doesn't to me. It doesn't feel like they're in control of matches, and they have a very good goalkeeper. They've upgraded the goalkeeper position, getting Thiago Silva as a stopgap has really helped them. But uh, I'm just fascinated with what Jose is doing with this first team. And this is a chance to really lay down a marker. Last season, they struggled with Chelsea. They had an opportunity to catch them a couple of times for fourth when they played them and, 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 and fell short. So, uh, you know, he's going to want this one, Jose. And the thing we're seeing is Jose has... In this era of everybody having a style, right, and a set a set way of playing, Jose has this ability to still come up with a tactic for a single match to negate the other side's strengths, and more often than not, his side can pull it off. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I, that, I expect yeah. a Spurs victory. And that, and that was the thing, too, that Spurs-Man City game uh, last weekend was that Arla White and Lee Dixon, quite a few times actually during that broadcast, were almost apologizing for Spurs playing some basically parking the bus, right? Or just playing very, very... Not parking well, the bus. They scored a but, goal in like the second minute. So that that's just natural. That's right. Anyway. Right. But yeah, And that's the thing though too. I think in many ways, I, I had no problem with the way that Spurs were playing. They were playing to win, but playing to conserve that lead and uh, weren't opening themselves up. And and, and to me, I, I, I don't think you have to apologize for that. But I think, um, I think Arlo for was probably expecting a more exciting team. game. Yeah, so, sorry, Chris. Particularly against a team like Manchester City that is utterly predictable and doesn't have any match winners in the squad right now. Uh, unless De Bruyne beats you by uh, by uh, getting a free kick in position. They, they can, they're a club that cannot score against better teams from open play. Uh, and if they score, they'll score one goal. They're not going to score two. So, uh, yeah, you can't, you shouldn't apologize if you're Jose. I mean, they, they got they got the early goal, and you know Manchester City doesn't have two goals in them unless you get a guy sent off, or as I said, you give De Bruyne an opportunity from a dead ball situation to to score. Uh, so I thought it was played perfectly by Jose. Now again. You got that analysis during the match from Arlo White and Lee Dixon. You did not get that analysis in the NBC studio, which was, again, goes back to, I think, my disappointment, your disappointment, and the disappointment of a lot of fans in, in what we've seen transpire with NBC the last, uh, I would say, what, year and a half uh, mm. that, that things have kind of gone downhill. All right. So we will be back next Thursday for the next episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Thank you for listening, and uh, no matter matter where you are, we hope you enjoy your uh, football this weekend. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.